Hello. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's. It, thank you for asking. It's going well. Good. I'm glad. I'm like I'm the one that usually asks that. How's it going? <laughs> I'm Koel. I'm Kenna. Welcome to another episode of Diagnosing a Killer. The not mental breakdown not, edition. I was about to nope. say that, but it's not. It's not the mental it's, breakdown. It's just a regular old case. Tis a case. Tis a case. <laughs> person we're going to talk about today a doozy like a doozy and a half a doozy and a half yeah like this person is and it's not necessarily that they had like well i don't know you'll see she's just a piece of work okay well she said she so foreshadowing before we get started i do just want to say that we have reached eleven thousand downloads woohoo it's really exciting. Thank you guys for continuously downloading our podcast and listening to us and subscribing and messaging us, reaching out to us, etc. Spreading the word. Yeah, absolutely. I do have another Instagram post that, or message actually that we got I'd like to share. It is from a new podcast um, called Caffeinated Crime Podcast. They do not have any episodes out yet, but there is an Instagram account and it looks like it's hosted... In the bio, it says by a person named Annie. So, um, says runs purely on caffeine. (laughs) (laughs) That'll be fun. There's no episodes out yet, but I do want to say that they reached out to us and the message is as follows. Hey y'all, just listen to your first episode, Smiley Face. It was so very good. I appreciate your awareness and thoughtfulness of the mental health issues presented in this case. Just wanted to give you a quick message and say thank you. Y'all are doing great with the little like party emoji. So awesome. thank you very much for the kind words. I know I responded to you, so you can read that as well. But it's just cool to, like, know that the mental health, like, plus the true crime is what's really, like, keeping people around because they really yeah. like the, you know, mental health and mental illness advocacy and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's why we're here. <laughs> Yay! Well, that's exciting, yeah. And I think, again, like I said earlier, word of mouth. You guys do such a great job about talking about it, and uh, I hear it in conversations sometimes when we're out and about, and it's really nice. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I try not to, like, bring it up every time I meet someone new, but, like, it just happens to come out, and especially because we have the QR codes on our back of our phones, and mm-hmm. so everyone's like, oh, what's that on your phone? What's that on your phone? And so, of course, it comes up in conversation, um, but it's really nice when, like, I'm out with some friends, and we meet some new people, and then my friends, rather than me, are like, oh, look, have you heard about Kenna's podcast? Have you heard about Kenna yeah. podcast? You know, <laughs> so um, it's cool that everyone else is helping us spread the word as well, so... Yeah, I just wanted to pepper those things in there. If you did not have us on social media, you can follow us on anywhere um, at Diagnosing the Killer. Twitter is at Killer Diagnosis. And if you want to donate to the Patreon, that gives us more time to create content for you guys. We've been actually doing really good about putting out two episodes a week. I'm really really proud of us. (laughs) Um, But continue to donate to the Patreon. Email us, please. Let us know if you guys want to hear anything. And yeah, I think that's all I had to say. You want to get on into the case? Today, we're going to be talking about a one- Amy Bishop. Amy Bishop. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Just follow me. Follow me. Okay. Amy Bishop was born April 24th, 1965. Amy was the first child of her parents, Samuel and Judith Bishop. Oh, Judith. Oh, Judith. (laughs) Last episode. Was it Judith? Was it Gary 
Ridgeway's um, ex-wife, or he was married when he got caught. Oh, Judith. 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 Exactly. So the three lived in Iowa City, Iowa, and her father was actually pursuing a fine arts degree at the time that Amy was born. Her brother Seth was born a few years later on April 9th, 1968. Mm-hmm. After the family um, had Seth, they moved to Braintree, Mass... Oh my God. Massachusetts. I spelt it M-A-S-S-A-T-U-R-C-H-E-S-T. <laughs> Massachusetts. Mass... Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts. Not much is to be said about the family itself during these early years, um, but Samuel, Amy, and Seth's father, he was actually a professor for the University of Boston in the art department. So the two kind of grew up in this educationally driven household. Amy grew up with severe asthma and began to become interested in science and genetics at a very young age. Although Amy was a smart girl, it always seemed like Seth, her brother, excelled in almost anything he did. Oh, of course. Of course. By the time that Amy was in high school, she began to feel like most of her parents' focus was put onto her younger brother, Seth. Mm -hmm. Seth was a part of the high school rifle team and was all-around successful um, in his academics. He won several math and science awards throughout his high school career. Oh, no. You know, when another sibling gets all the praise. Of course. (laughs) These start like that. Amy had trouble maintaining friendships, and although her grades were also good, she never felt up to par with Seth. While in high school, Amy had played the violin, but Seth, of course, had a passion for violin. Oh. And he actually played in the Greater Boston Youth Symphony and Orchestra. So it's like, you play the violin, but I play it, like, a little bit better. But a little bit better, (laughs) right? (laughs) Eventually, she graduated from Braintree High School and began attending Northeastern University, where her dad was actually teaching. Okay. Shortly after Amy had begun college, she met a young man by the name of Jimmy Anderson, Jimmy was also interested in the sciences as he was studying biology, so the pair kind of hit it off almost immediately. They also had quite a bit of common. When meeting Jimmy's family, they found it odd when Amy referred to him as James because Jimmy was his legal name. James was not. Okay. And they thought it was really interesting. He was actually a junior. He was Jimmy Jr. His dad was Jimmy Sr. But isn't James a nickname for Jimmy? But that wasn't his legal name. So? Well, that's like... When you call Clay Clayton, his name is just Clay. It's not Clayton. I know. I just, that's, I do that on purpose to mess with it because he doesn't like it. Right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, so she used to call him, or she would call him James. Like against his wanting? Even when Jimmy Sr. asked why she insisted on calling him James, Jimmy Jr. answered with, quote, she doesn't want people to think I'm a Southern redneck, end quote. She thought it sounded unprofessional. Jimmy? Jimmy! Jimmy! Oh, Jimmy. no. Shout out yeah. um, my friend Austin. He has a, <laughs> a an English bulldog. His name's Jimmy. Jimmy. And he's so damn cute. <laughs> um, but, okay, so if you're okay with me saying this on the podcast, you have a friend named James, right. and you call him Jimmy, yeah, or vice Jimmy. versa. Yeah. So what's... Is All of his does girlfriends... Does he want that? <laughs> All of his girlfriends called him James, though, for the most part. None of his, like... Sorry, James. And his name but... <laughs> is James, though. Yeah. And you call him Jimmy? I call him Jimmy. Why? Because that's a short for James, but James isn't short for Jimmy. I see. I was confused. I thought it was, like, interchangeable. That's why I was... Not interchangeable, but I thought it was the other way around. And no. that's why I was like, why is that weird that she's calling him James? 
I see. Because his okay. name isn't James. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's okay. like saying, like, no, my name's Ricky, but you insist on calling me Richard. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, 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 that's when people call me McKenna. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not my name. They think they're clever. They're like, oh, McKenna. I'm like, like that would be funny if that was actually my real name. My yeah. full name is Kenna. It's just <laughs> like, Kenna. It's not yeah. McKenna. <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it. But yeah, that's really... That's kind of fucked up. She's like, oh, Jim Bob over here sounds too redneck. Yeah, you sound like a redneck. Yeah. God, that's awful. So I'm going to call you James because it gonna sounds get, professional. Yeah. James. I'm going to take it upon myself to give you a more professional name because yeah. I think you need... Okay, she's, exactly. this is already controlling what Exactly. When Amy brought Jimmy home to her family, <laughs> Seth almost kind of scoffed. He wasn't really impressed by Jimmy. And furthermore, he actually tried to convince his sister... That some of her extracurriculars, because she was now going to college, weren't going to make her popular and yield her any new friends. Namely, the D&D club that she entered. <laughs> so, that she was, like, very nerdy. Yes. That's and Seth cool. was like... Well, Seth was like... Well, play- I mean, it's cool now because of nerd culture. He plays the violin. Sure. So, he's like he's, he also has a quirk that is not necessarily sure. aligned with... A young male, but just, any, especially in the 50s, you know? Anything he touches turns to gold. Oh, okay. So, Seth graduated from Braintree High School in 1968, and he applied and was accepted to Northeastern University in Boston, where his dad taught and where his sister was going. How excited do you think Amy was? Oh, she was probably pissed. And it sounds like he's, <laughs> like, he's like trying to one-up her. Like, he's going to the school with her on purpose so that he can make himself look better. That's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Maybe we're thinking a little along the lines like Amy does, right? Okay. So he focused on electrical engineering while he was at uh, Northeastern University of Boston. Amy, now 21 years old, was still living at home and also attending Northeastern University, which, of course, Amy was like, yay, great, my brother's hanging out with me every day. <laughs> People around campus were really shocked that Amy and Seth were actually brother and sister. Amy was quite reserved and quiet and nerdy and geeky when Seth was this Camaro-driving, smart, witty, outgoing young man. And he was adorable. Was he? (laughs) Oh, he was adorable. He was adorable. Seth wasn't a narcissist, though. Seeing how upset it made Amy on some occasions, he actually started to stop talking about his successes as often... To make her feel better, to not make her feel bad. Okay, that's kind of sad because, Isn't it? like, you shouldn't have to like dim your light to make someone else feel better. Yeah. One Christmas, he actually asked his parents to not get him anything because he just wanted to enjoy the holiday without stuff, just with his family. Like he was a really humble guy. Damn. Yeah. He just happened to be great at everything. Yeah. You know? It's not his fault. He almost. It almost seemed like these gestures, however, only upset Amy more. Like, she was like, oh, he's such a great guy. Like, he's on so top of humble. <laughs> yeah. On top of him being great at everything, he's also great at being a human, right? <sighs> Sounds like she's just jealous of everything. She is. Sometime in 1985, the house had been burglarized, and Amy became increasingly paranoid about burglars getting into the house. Okay. So then, of course, fast forward. This has been like the first semester that Seth is at Northeastern University. Amy is due to graduate the upcoming spring. Okay. But this is December 1986. Amy was home alone while her brother went grocery shopping and her parents were out for the day. When Seth arrived home, he ran into his mother who had just arrived at the house at the same time. Judith began helping Seth into the house with groceries. While the two were setting groceries down on the countertop, Amy called to her brother to help her with something. 
Amy had, while in the house by herself, went to her father's closet, which had a 12-gauge shotgun inside of it. Whoa. The gun was actually a gift to Seth because he was on the rifle team. Whoa. This was, yeah. Wait. It was a gift that he never received because he didn't want Christmas gifts? Or it was, like, a gift he would receive in the future? Well, he was on the rifle team in high school, and so it had been a gift to Seth. Oh, I see. Amy had loaded the gun after she claimed hearing something inside of the house, because she thought maybe it was a burglar, and she had already shot the gun inside of her room, seeming to test it out or possibly scare away a robber. So this is before anybody arrived Mm -hmm. home. But now that she knew that her family was in the house, she didn't know how to unload it. Amy began to say, I need help unloading this as she raised the gun up to pass it to her brother. No. Seth began to say, don't point it at anyone. When he reached his hands out, the gun went off and he was shot in the chest. The gun did not go off. Amy pulled the trigger. Guns do not go off unless someone pulls the trigger. Judith claimed that she witnessed the entire shooting and immediately called 911. She also claimed that Amy immediately ran outside to look for help from a neighbor, a neighbor next door or something that was a nurse, and Judith had claimed that Amy was yelling this person's name down the street. When police arrived, however, Amy was nowhere to be found and neither was the shotgun. Suspicious. She just fled the scene of her own crime. (laughs) With the murder weapon. Yeah. (laughs) There were reports in the area that a young lady brandishing a gun was trying to flag down or threaten threaten passing motorists. That's the opposite of what her mom said that she did. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Quite the opposite is happening. Seth was rushed to a local hospital where he would succumb to his injuries. Oh, my God. He probably got shot in the face, right? Because he had his hands... In his chest. In his chest. Oh, my God. He was 18. Oh, my gosh. Amy was eventually located at a service station down the street when employees said that she had tried to take a car at gunpoint. After police interviewed both Amy and Judith, Seth's death was ruled an accidental death. The parents are definitely in on this shit. What made her, like, randomly decide, seemingly, to just, like, shoot her brother? Because, like, well, she's not dumb. Like, she knows probably enough about guns like she knew how to load it so well it was always something that like her dad and like seth had like kind of done together so it wasn't really like something that she knew about but mysteriously because they had like taken pictures of like the crime scene and stuff crime scene quote unquote they had taken a picture of the hole in amy's wall in her bedroom and in this photo You can see, like, this magazine article about someone who had committed a similar crime. That they had shot and killed someone and that they had ran away from the location and used the gun to hide, carjack someone and then flee the scene and then, like, wasn't found or something for a while. So So it was almost like she read this and then, like, gained inspiration to do this. Like, copycat. Yeah. But I feel like... I feel like that's so, I don't want to say random, because obviously she was harboring these feelings of, like, rage towards Mm -hmm. her brother. Right. But, like, seemingly decent childhood, like, seemingly decent home life, Mm -hmm. you know? She's just, I guess, jealous of her brother. But, like, I feel like if it was a long, thought-out, not a long, a long, 
kind of like stacking on top of itself rage, it would have been more thought out than that. So I don't know like how long she'd been stewing about it. But when I, in my opinion, what I think happened was that she knew that her parents were gone for the day and she maybe didn't expect because in her mind, remember that Seth and Judith showed up at the house at the same time. I think that maybe she might have looked out a window or whatever and saw that he pulled up and then started making her way downstairs. And then when Judith pulls up, she's thinking he's the only person around. So uh, yeah, because I my my other thought was, why wouldn't she have tried to do it away from her parents? Like right. if she knew her mom was downstairs, why would she do that? Right. And yeah, so what okay. I'm thinking is that maybe she didn't think that Judith was in the house too, just Seth, because it sounded like one person came home, not uh, okay. two people. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. Okay. So the second half of that is the fact that Judith knew the police chief very very well and was a staunch like supporter of his and had donated quite a bit of money and all this other stuff so they get amy they take her down to the station as she's being interviewed police chief walks in and is like interview's over she can go home and just lets amy leave with judith so do you think that amy like kind of knew maybe they could make it seem like it was an accident or at the very least she would get like off on like something really minor because yeah. she, because of her mom's relationship with the police chief probably i think that she knew that after a while like i don't think that she thought about that in the moment but yeah. it just will happen to work out that way Ugh. yeah okay th- that was completely different than what i thought was gonna happen go ahead isn't that crazy that is wild and it was really soon like it was just like all yeah. of a sudden it seems Whoop. neighbors were absolutely shocked that seth had died in the way that he did he was such a good kid but furthermore locals were absolutely bothered that amy acted the way that she did with no consequences and after the fact too if she was like sobbing and actually screaming for the neighbor and stuff that's one thing but the fact that she just fucking like <laughs> dip set she's like bye. <laughs> she's like bye and then yeah. she's like waving gun or guns around trying to motorists ha- or whatever. carjack people yeah. what the fuck everyone trusted though that the police had done their due diligence and had done their job but again, everybody deals with panic differently, maybe. Maybe she just had a death grip on that gun and was just like, ah, you know, and there's, I don't know, running or, around waiting. <laughs> or maybe it's like a lot of our other cases where the police are like, no, for the need to investigate. And then they later get like the same person for like multiple homicides. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, maybe you should have fucking investigated more. Check this out. Just two weeks after Seth's death, Amy and Jimmy went to go visit Jimmy's parents. No. It wasn't until much later in the evening that the couple would even bring up Seth's death, to which Jimmy's parents were taken off guard by because they hadn't heard about what happened. Oh, by the way, my brother died. Did you hear? I shot him. I killed him. On accident. But it was an accident. Did you hear? She was probably trying to get ahead of it before they heard, and they were like, why didn't you fucking tell me? But she should have said that the first thing that she fucking told me. Right? Or maybe Jimmy Jimmy should have said said something. Right? It's hey, creepy. just to let you guys know, like, you know, her brother dies, so, like, don't bring it up or whatever, you know? Yeah, exactly. Further raising eyebrows, the couple would actually get married just four months later, in April 1987. There it is. There it is. In the very same church that Seth had his funeral. Ew. That, that is so fucking gross. Fucking awful. And everyone was like, four cool months with it? Four months. Did people show up? I don't fucking know. And they were just like, yeah, this checks out. This makes sense. Isn't that Ew. creepy? Ew. Is Jimmy, like, in on it? 
mean, he has to be. I don't know. What the fuck was that? Did you hear that noise? What? I don't know. I thought I heard... Every time we record, I feel like I hear a weird noise I know, in the me background. too. Every time. All right, go ahead. Amy was due to graduate after that spring semester, to which she kept that promise to herself, not taking a single day off for bereavement after Seth's death. Choosing not to change her last name, she called herself future Dr. Amy Bishop. Like, didn't take Anderson. Gag me. She's like, no, that's reserved. Because, like, yeah. You are only, not only, it's very common to keep your maiden name if you got that title when you had your maiden name. Sure. But you're not changing it on purpose so that you can keep that as your maiden name. Exactly. And it doesn't, again, it's not like every woman has to take a last name. They don't. Okay, yeah, absolutely. But still, it was like... She said to Jibby, I'm not going to take your last name because I want my last name when I get my doctorates. Fine. Okay, that, that's fine. Sure. I thought you meant, like, well, she... Yeah, okay, no, yeah. It's a little narcissistic. It's a little It's a little narcissistic. Um, that's all I'm saying. It's fine. Do you, girl. Do you. The couple would graduate together that spring, 1987. Amy had actually written a thesis while in her graduating year that Harvard had actually taken notice of. And with this, Amy decided to apply and would be accepted to Harvard for the following fall semester. What was the thesis about? How I killed my brother and got away with it? (laughs) I didn't do it, but if I did... (laughs) Jimmy had no choice but to follow Amy, who would pursue a PhD in genetics. Amy would. Damn, that's, like, intense. That, well, that's, again, that was kind of, like, her passion, because, like I said, she had grown up with asthma and, like, things like that, and was looking towards, you know, genetics, and she had a, a really, an interest in that at a young age. I guess I blacked out when you said that, because I don't remember you saying that. <laughs> It was when I was talking really, really fast. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm not going to put me telling you to slow down in the podcast, so don't say it again. <laughs> okay. Amy would never let anyone forget that she was going to Harvard. She would constantly talk about it with family, friends, and colleagues. She introduced herself to people as Dr. Amy Bishop, Harvard trained. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Bishop, Harvard trained. Yeah. I immediately know. I'd be like, you don't need to know my name. We're not friends. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, bye. Goodbye. <laughs> that is very great for you. I'm That's leaving. great. <laughs> Jimmy would... Ke- I- I, I'm going to keep calling him Jimmy. I am not going to call him James. No, it's don't hilarious. do that. Jimmy would keep busy with various biology projects at Harvard, kind of. Um, but mostly he supported Amy in her future and her career. <laughs> just and, like she wants. <laughs> just like she always wanted. Eventually, Jimmy would quit work and university-related projects to become a stay-at-home dad. Over the course of the next several years, Amy and Jimmy would welcome their daughter, eldest daughter, Lily, and then two more girls... And while Amy, um, this is all while Amy was finishing her doctorates. I just said the two other girls because they didn't really name them, but yeah. She didn't take any days off for pregnancy. No, she probably didn't. In yeah. the classroom she, and then just Exactly. Sure. Yep. No, no days off for me. <laughs> no days off for me. In order to receive her PhD, Amy needed to write a dissertation. Bear with me. No. Her dissertation was titled The Role of Mesothation in Respiratory Bursts and Phagocytes. Phagocytes. Uh, something like that. <laughs> you got it. It's fine. Is that fine? <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Something like that. It's a real page turner. So. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it's a real page turner. Um, it was actually 137 pages in length. God. And dang. in her acknowledgments, she states, quote, bear with me on this one, too. 
I would like to thank my thesis advisor, Dr. Paul Gallup, for his enthusiasm, insight, and willingness to spend hours listening to my ideas and his presenting his own. Harvard trade. Harvard trade. <laughs> Dr. Paul Gallup not only concerned himself with my scientific development, but cared about me as a person. I would like to thank Dr. Mercedes Paz for her support and being a positive role model. The rest of the Gallup lab, Vladimir, Rudolph, and Sylvia, as well as Ed Henson, were valued colleagues. I would like to thank my thesis committee chairman, Dr. Manfred Kamomsky, for his calming influence and for keeping me focused. I would like to thank my best friend, Barbara Burroughs, for her optimism. The graduate experience of my closest friend, David Latour, gave my emotions and experiences as a graduate student perspective, and for that I am grateful. I am particularly indebted to my mother, Judith Bishop. Judith? <laughs> what the fuck is Judith? Judith Bishop for moral support and for watching my daughter Lily while I worked in the lab. I am also indebted to my father Samuel Bishop as well as my grandmother Theano and my aunt Rose for their unwavering faith in my ability to graduate. Finally, I would like to thank my husband Jim Anderson. Calls him Jim. Love it. I was waiting for her to not thank him in there. <laughs> I know, me too. For graphics, typesetting, computer assistance, and midnight cups of coffee. <laughs> Not for watching my three children while I am in school 24-7. This thesis is dedicated to my brother, Seth Morrison Bishop. No. Straight up. End quote. Who I murdered. Who I fucking murdered. And I'm still walking the She dedicated the thesis to him, or the dissertation to him. Yeah. Yep. That's disgusting. And I guarantee you, like, everyone around her was like, oh, that's so sweet. My, she probably convinced yeah. them. My point in reading all that is... I get that it's, like, acknowledgments, like, you're supposed to acknowledge the people, but it sounded just, like, name-dropping. It sounded like a lot of name-dropping. And, like, look at what a good person I am, you know? <laughs> the crossed eyes. I great. didn't kill my brother, you know? This is in memory of him. Yeah. Even though I didn't take a day off to grieve him. And I had my marriage in his funeral in his church, funeral. like, four months later. <laughs> Seems legit, yeah. People hated the dissertation. Yeah. <laughs> and many of her colleagues found the paper to be written unprofessionally and the overall Yikes. subject matter kind of an easy target to hit. Yikes. Although Amy would receive her doctorates, many referred to this controversy as, quote, local scandal number one, end quote. <laughs> like they Damn, this place didn't have any other local scandals <laughs> No, it was the biggest one. <laughs> oh, I thought it was like the first one. <laughs> no, it's just the biggest one. Number one. Yeah. Either way, Amy was accepted to a fellowship at Harvard to the dismay of some. Most notably, her supervisor, Dr. Rosenberg. He was a medical professor and a physician at the Children's Hospital at Boston, where he and Amy worked together in the neurobiology department. Rosenberg found Amy difficult to work with, citing that on more than a few occasions, Amy would get into verbal altercations with several colleagues. Like, regularly. Hmm. He was given a copy of Amy's dissertation by Amy and was asked to review it and give his professional opinion on it. Here, read this 137-page document that I already utilized and graduated because of. But yeah. read it just for shits and giggles, No, please. read it just because read it. I want you, like, I want you to... Tell to, me how amazing I am. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> of course, Rosenberg agreed that it lacked certain aspects typically required of a PhD dissertation. And when did he die? <laughs> After some time... No, I was kidding. <laughs> I was kidding. <laughs> After some time, Rosenberg was to give Amy a professional evaluation, which outlined some of the doctor's concerns regarding Amy's performance, stating that Amy, quote, couldn't meet the standards required for the work, no. end quote. 
and asked for Amy's resignation over him discontinuing his, her fellowship instead. So, like, I will discontinue your fellowship or you can resign. He literally was like, yeah, you would have been fine in this program if you hadn't shown me that piece of absolute dog shit. <laughs> now I know you're Now real, you're bragging. You're I know so that you're trash liar. at this. Yeah. <laughs> you can no longer attend this fellowship. And also you're a bitch to, like, everyone. Yeah. So Amy agreed to the resignation. Oh, that's surprising. On December 19th, no. 1993, Dr. Rosenberg and his wife were out of town on vacation. The couple had a family friend arranged to come over to feed their cats while they were gone. This cat sitter arrived on the last day that the couple were to be gone and noticed that there was a package sitting in front of the porch, like on the front porch. The sitter picked up the package, took it inside, and sat it on the counter before feeding the cats and then leaving. Just to give you, like, an overall, like, what kind of time we're talking about here... During this time, the Unabomber was still active. I was just thinking the Unabomber. And had been since 1978. Now, this is 1993, and I did not realize Ted Kaczynski was doing that for that long. Yeah. But Ted Kaczynski was still at large, and his MO at the time was, um, had been going for some time, and he usually targeted universities and airports or airlines, hence UN, like university, A, airlines, bomber. So when Dr. Rosenberg and his wife returned to their home and saw the package inside their home when they hadn't expected anything, he was immediately cautious. Dr. Rosenberg decided to take a knife and cut a hole at the very center of the top of the box instead of opening the package like normal. Okay. When he did and he was able to peek inside, he saw wires. Oh my fucking God. And he called police. So... He totally saved him and his wife's life. That's by the so way. fucking scary. Because it was a homemade bomb. The ATF arrived along with the detonation team to remove the bomb. It was disposed of, and it was essentially a failed bombing. Witnesses... I bet she was like, me, <laughs> me. <laughs> well, we'll get to it. Witnesses approached the ATF with information that they overheard or had engaged in a conversation with Jimmy Anderson, Amy's husband, no. in which he had stated that he hated Rosenberg for forcing his wife to leave as she was the sole breadwinner and that he wanted to, quote, shoot, stab, bomb or strangle Rosenberg, end quote. This fucking dumbass. Right? <laughs> yeah, just go ahead and, like, perjure yourself. Like, <laughs> fucking... Well, this was never substantiated, and in fact, the police had nothing but circumstantial evidence yeah, that's relating all Amy and Jimmy potentially to this attempted pipe bombing. And the case was eventually closed after several months. Oh, my God. Although it would be confirmed that the pipe bomb was not that of the Unabomber. Yeah. So, who the fuck was it? Who was it? Jimith, perhaps? Jimith? Tis I, Jimith. <laughs> after all of this cooled off, Amy decided to start finding work again. She bounced around several labs, but would always end up quitting or getting fired since she didn't work well with others. Oh, interesting. She does not work well with others. Because she has to be the leader, and if yeah. she's not the leader, then there's a problem. She should probably get into tennis, then, if she doesn't want to do a team-based <laughs> no sport. No team-based sports. <laughs> you don't need real ink to make an impact. Let the power of temporary tattoos tell your story. Temporary Tattoos specializes in a wide range of temporary body art, including custom tattoos, with the option to add unique effects like metallic, glitter, glow-in-the-dark, and so much more. Temporary Tattoos are easy to apply and last up to five days. When you're ready for your new look, 
Simply remove your fake tattoo using their lemon-scented removing wipes. Rinse and repeat. Temporary tattoo. Experiment with a new look without the commitment. Use the link in the show notes below for 10% off stock tattoos and bring your new look to life. She would accuse people of stealing her work or ideas, still berating people and insisting that she was, she alone was the superior person, like, uh, on the team or in the lab. Mm. In 2001, Amy and Jimmy would welcome their youngest son, a boy named Seth, after her late brother. Fuck off. Not even kidding. That is so gross. And the fact that she's like, oh, my brother's murder was it or accidental death now i'm gonna reincarnate him and live on with my son and his name he even, just turns british even more weirder than that he was actually born on seth's birthday oh that's really kind of weird like reincarnation thing that's terrifying <gasps> was he when he got older was he like why'd you kill me like as a Ooh, child what that that creepy. <laughs> sorry that is creepy in 2002, the family of six decided to go eat at an IHOP. When the family was seated, Amy asked for a high chair or booster seat for one of the kids. A waitress apologized, as the last booster seat had actually been given to the family that was seated right before this family. No. They, they should have done that. Should they have done that? <laughs> Don't fucked up. up. <laughs> Don't fucked up. Amy wasn't having any of this. She flew into a rage, first at the waitress, stating that she was Dr. Amy Bishop from Harvard, and she demanded a booster seat, okay? Harvard trained, motherfuckers. <laughs> Harvard trained. Fired, but trained. <laughs> <laughs> then Amy actually approached the family that had the last booster seat. She demanded that the mother give up her child's seat, and the mother was like, are you insane? Yeah, literally. Amy lunged at the little girl that was sitting in the seat and no. tried to snatch the seat from underneath the little girl. Not even kidding. She's going to, like, let her fall? Whatever. She didn't care. She's Harvard trained. <laughs> <laughs> when the girl's mother tried to defend her daughter, Amy began to punch the woman in the face and head while yelling, I'm Dr. Amy Bishop. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It sounds so stupid. I'm not even kidding. I'm Dr. Amy Bishop! Like, screaming while she's punching this woman in front of her children. Good in front for of Amy's fucking children. you. Like, there's a lot of people that are fucking <sighs> doctors in this world. You know, Shaq has a fucking doctorate, all right? If you really want to get technical, Shaquille O'Neal has a fucking <laughs> yeah. doctorate, all right? He doesn't go around screaming at the fact that he has a doctorate. But like, is he Harvard trained? No. I, it's the real world. No, I didn't. I think he's Harvard trained. You know what? She's an Ivy League school. Come to think of it. She's right. She's Harvard trained. She's she just has to do whatever she wants. So true. Yeah. She can she can push little children over and steal their booster seats. Oh so bad. So yes, she was um actually arrested and taken to jail Good. for assault on this woman. She battered the shit out of this woman oh, in front that's, of This a poor restaurant. lady was just trying to have breakfast with her family. Could you imagine like you're sitting there and it's like, I need that bastard saying I'm having a high road and you're like no thanks. I'm sorry, fucking what? Like, <laughs> no thanks, I don't need to donate to the funds. Pancakes you. halfway in your mouth, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, I'm what sorry, fucking what? <laughs> it's crazy. Amy entered an Alfred plea in order to receive a lesser sentence of probation plus anger management classes. What is an Alfred plea? An Alfred plea, an Alfred, an Alfred plea is when you, you're not necessarily saying that you are pleading guilty, but you understand that the evidence that's put forth against you is enough to convict you. Oh, so you're not pleading guilty, but you're not pleading not guilty. Right. But like it's, in the middle. it's kind of like a no contest, but not really. Yeah. Okay. Like a no, yeah. 
Like, a no contest is like, I just don't feel like fighting it. You could have evidence against me. I don't want to go through a trial process. Kind of with an Alfred plea. is like, an Alfred plea, they'll show you all the evidence they have against you, and then you just plead, like, Alfred. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, you just say that. How does a defendant plead? (laughs) Alfred. (laughs) Alfred. (laughs) All right, move on. Once Amy's probation was up, the family was looking for a new start. Clearly. Like, everybody knows I'm insane in this in this town. I'm just gonna leave. Well, shit, like, now that... I, okay, if it doesn't fucking ring any bells before with her brother... I had a hiccup, sorry. This intense outburst of a random fucking stranger because of a... Booster seat! Should be, should be indication. <laughs> yeah, she's. I have like the weird burps. Like I can't burp, but I have like the the bubble, air, like yeah. the air. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, a fun fact for anyone listening that doesn't know me in person: I can't burp. It's true. She has to throw up. I don't throw up. I have to like essentially throw up, but nothing comes out. It's just like it's just air. <laughs> it's just air. It's really bad. <coughs> if anyone else has that problem, email me because I feel like I'm lonely. Over I'm here. lonely. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Amy applied at the University of Huntsville in Alabama as an assistant professor, and although it was a coveted job, Amy seemed flippant about her position there. She was just like, whatever. Oh, it's not Harvard. I went to Harvard. <laughs> I went to Harvard. This is below me, right? Once again, Amy's reputation was to follow her in this role as well. It doesn't matter where the fuck you go. The, the place isn't the problem. You are the problem. You're the problem. <laughs> Her peers would often say she was aloof and strange in meetings. She would go off on tangents that had nothing to do with topics at hand, seemingly to hog the meetings and control whatever was being talked about while maintaining focus on herself. I can diagnose her. Yeah, we're, we're gonna. <laughs> we are gonna. Leading up to 2009, Amy was seen as one of the worst performing professors at UAH. Mm. She would be argumentative with students when they asked for help. She would... I'm sorry, your job? Yeah. You <laughs> get mad at students for needing help? She would constantly ask for transfers for students to be placed in other classes or dismiss students from her lab, kicking them out for the day. Like, just getting irate with students for asking questions. Like, again, your fucking job, what you signed up for? Students... What you get paid to do? Students began to notice that she never really answered any of the questions that they posed... And I'm sure this upset Amy not knowing the answers. Of course. It got so bad that a large group of students signed a petition to request Dr. Amy Bishop be removed from the campus as a professor, saying that she was, quote, ineffective in the classroom and odd, unsettling ways, end quote, that she would handle her classroom. Oh, my God. Mass shooting at the school. (laughs) This did not convince the university, however. (laughs) Stop. I was kidding again. <laughs> this this did not convince the university, however, and they kept Amy in their biology department until 2009. In March 2009... She, Amy, she still worked there. Yes. Until then, okay. Even though the students had signed this petition. So that was just kind of like a breakdown from like 2000... I think she started in like 2003 yeah. for like five, six years. Okay. That was just kind of the reputation that she started building for herself is that she was a shitty professor. Well, that's kind of Ooh. lame that like the... University, like, didn't take all those students' students seriously. seriously. However, in March of 2009, Amy was informed that due to her performance, the university would be denying her tenure, and that this upcoming school year was to be her last at UAH. 
The university gave her until March 2010 to find another position somewhere else. Amy was livid, of course. Uh, yeah, this is now the second time she's been fired because of her own actions, no one else's. Right. She was convinced that there was some kind of a coup between the staff and that the staff just didn't like her. Mm -hmm. She appealed the denial of her tenure after she heard that a fellow biology professor called her crazy. Amy filed a case with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, saying that she was discriminated against because she was a woman, and that this professor saying that she was crazy was, like, kind of proof that this was discrimination. Yeah. When asked if this professor had said things like this, he actually doubled down and was like, shit, yeah, I said those things. <laughs> he, <laughs> so was, didn't care. he didn't fucking care. He was quoted in saying, quote, I said she was crazy multiple times, and I stand by that. This woman has a pattern, pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't really normal. She's just very out of touch with reality, end quote. Spitting facts. Yeah. Spitting facts. <laughs> like, <laughs> hashtag true. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't just work in the biology department. He works in the psychology department. <laughs> Both Amy and Jimmy decided to fight against this denial of her tenure. Jimmy's just hanging out this whole time. He like. is. They even hired a lawyer to handle the case. Both were confident that the denial would be overturned. But, <laughs> yeah, after a thorough investigation, it was determined that the university worked well within its rights to not accept Amy back for the following year. And then the de denial of tenure was actually sustained. The thing is, is that she ha clearly has this mindset of like, there's no way that it's me. Like, I'm not the problem. Right. I have to find what the problem is because there's absolutely no way in hell that it's me. Right. Same thing with the other place that she left, whatever. There's mm -hmm. no way that it's me. Who else messed up? Like, why, you know? And then the professor, oh, the professor's gonna be crazy. That's why they're not giving me tenure. Not because I fucked up or yeah. I have been for the last Because I'm years. a woman and I'm in the sciences, therefore I am crazy. Like, that's what she's trying yeah. to say they're saying, you it's know? Like, no, you're not teaching the students anything. Yeah. And you don't seem to, like understand that it's your problem your work ethic your yeah whatever like and if it's too much for you to handle maybe back up a little bit you know exactly instead of taking more on <sighs> she's ready? like they promoted her to department head of biology <laughs> what you ready yes on february 12th 2010 you always know when you pull out like a specific date on February 12, 2010, Amy attended her morning classes as usual. Later in the day, around 3, 3.30, a meeting was scheduled for the Biology and Neurosciences Department to gather and discuss the upcoming school year. Amy decided to attend this meeting, which was only a little unusual because she wasn't going to return after March. But either way, some people didn't find it odd at all, since it was to be her last meeting there at the university. And maybe she still wanted to be included and didn't feel, you know, didn't want to feel excluded because that is still her department, right? Okay. Around 4 p.m., almost an hour after the meeting began, Amy suddenly stood up and produced a 9mm handgun from her no. lap. She began firing at her colleagues, starting from the closest to her and so on around the table. So we're going to get into the victims of this crime. Oh my god. Dr. Gopi Padilla was the first to be shot. He listed his interests on his bio as, quote, engineering tree biomass for bioenergy, functional genomics of plant-microbe interactions, and plant molecular biology and biotechnology, end quote. Damn. Very smart man. Yeah. Dr. Padilla left behind his wife, Vanny, and his two young daughters. He was described as a helpful man who loved culture and the arts and a, was a major contributor to the scientific achievements in bioengineering bio all over the world. 
He was just 52. He was shot down. Dr. Adriel Johnson was a biology professor at UAH with a focus on cell biology and nutritional physiology. Faith was very important to Dr. Johnson, and his sense of community drew him to be a leader amongst young people. He chose to dedicate his time to the enriching of the lives of people around him through ministry and his compassion. Dr. Johnson's life was taken that day at the hands of Amy Bishop. Left behind was his wife, who was also a doctor, and two sons, one of which bears his namesake. He was just 52. Dr. Maria Regland Davis was an assistant professor of molecular biology and plant genetics. Dr. Davis was excited about grants that she was going to be receiving for research the following year and had many publications. She was also looking ahead at some pretty, pretty big things. She had a lot of graduates under her belt. She was shot and killed that day at age 50. Dr. Luis Cruz Vera is a Mexico native, and he has a PhD in genetics and molecular biology. He was an assistant professor who had started at the university just a few years prior. Today, Dr. Cruz Vera is one of the highest ranking scientists, not just in the U.S., but in the world. Oh, wow. He still works at Huntsville, although he briefly left in 2014, but returned later that year. And he has resumed teaching a week just after the shooting. Like, he was shot in the chest and he returned a week later. Oh, my God. And he is still alive today. Dr. Joseph Leahy was dedicated to his faith and to his family with a wife and two boys. He was a microbiologist and started at the university in 1993. He was described as approachable and would love to make complicated scientific ideas accessible and digestible to his students with his fun-loving personality. That's so sweet. I love teachers like that. Me too. Dr. Leahy was shot in the head, but he would ultimately survive, although he would lose one of his eyes due to the damage that he suffered. Oh my gosh. Dr. Leahy would actually pass seven years later due to a heart attack, but it was not in relation to the shooting that day. He did survive the shooting. Stephanie Monticciolo was Dr. Padilla's assistant and had actually sat in the meeting in order to take notes for the doctor when Amy began firing. Oh my gosh. Being one of the last hit, Stephanie had time to shield her face from the bullet that traveled through her ring finger and into her head. She, had she not shielded her face, the bullet likely would have killed her. But since the bullet struck her finger first, it actually ricocheted and landed in her cheek and it saved her life. She too would lose an eye and go through fine motor skill therapy, but would ultimately make an almost complete recovery. Wow. Deborah Moriarty witnessed the entire attack from start to finish, which only lasted a total of 45 seconds. I bet that felt like hours. I bet it did. That's so fucking scary. In almost a slow motion movie, Deborah weighed her options as the horror unfolded in front of her. She was standing pretty much to the left of Amy. So Amy started on the right hand side and was going around the room. She had known Amy for years and was shocked when Amy pulled out a gun. When everyone started to duck down, Deborah remembers reaching out to Amy to try to get her to stop or something. Yeah. She said about this moment that she felt like if she could just get Amy to look at her, Amy would snap out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand that way of thinking. Once Deborah grabbed Amy's leg after kind of ducking, Amy pointed the gun at Deborah. Deborah began to say, quote, Amy, think about my grandson. Think about my daughter. Amy, you know I've helped you. I will help you again. It's me. It's me. She said later, part of my brain thought that she'll go, oh, it's Deb, and then she'll just stop. End quote. Yeah. Amy pulled the trigger, but the gun began to click. Amy tried to shoot several times, each time being met with a click, click, click. Oh, my God. Amy turned and ran out of the room. A few other professors who had not been hit by gunshots had began to barricade the door. 
Dr. Cruz Vera, the one that was shot in the chest, he called 911 um, because at this time he hadn't realized that he had been shot. Bad bitch alert. Right. Um, but he did soon realize while he was on the phone with 911 operators and then passed the phone to someone else. The professors all began to treat each other's wounds, taking off shirts and dressing each other. Yeah. And Amy started to make her way through the Shelby Center building. She's just like walking around. Well, like casual. She had actually hit up a bathroom first. She washed her hands and the gun before throwing in a trash can, and then ultimately exited the building. Oh my gosh, that de- Deb lady, the Deb 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 was the one that tried to stop her. Yeah. How, like, gut wrenching is that to know that, like, even though you thought she was gonna step out of it, she tr- she she tried she to shoot you, even though she wasn't successful. Right. She was plant like she would have killed you or at least injured you if yeah. she had still had bullets. A lot of people actually credit Deb to making it kind of stop because she interacted with her and she kind of took the focus off and then just gun jammed. Yeah. As she made her way out the building, there was um, police officers waiting there. So immediately took her into custody. She didn't get to leave the scene. Good. By the way, Lily, uh, which is her eldest child, she Mm -hmm. was 18 at the time of the shootings. And uh, one of the professors, she was also studying biology and bio biochemistry, I think, um, one of her professors was in the room or was one of the people that were shot. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't – I didn't specify which one, but um, eventually she would go back to Huntsville and attend in the fall. That's, like, twice as traumatizing for Lily because not only is she experiencing a school shooting, but it's also a home – like, her mom. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's her – oh, my gosh. That's she would her, – her grandfather, which was Samuel um, Bishop, right, which was Amy's father – would um, put out an article about how difficult it was for the children to move on after that and for them to attend any school around in the area (sighs) if your mother was, like, this perpetrator of, you know, a school shooting. Well, who's to say that someone's not going to come and try to, like, get revenge or whatever, you know? exactly. So I don't know what happened to Lily. But I did – I didn't want to research too much on the kids just because I wanted to respect their privacy as well. Yeah. Um, Because that's got to be really, really hard. Yeah, Definitely. Once news broke of the incident, people were shocked. It is highly unlikely that a woman would commit a mass shooting. Especially a professor. In fact, according to an article published by The Guardian, an FBI study once showed that out of 160 active shooter incidences between 2000 and 2013, found that only six of those instances, or about 4%, were perpetrated by a female shooter. Wow. So it's very, very rare. Yeah. It's really strange that she took out... Because, okay, so she was, just kind of going back, back to her brother, she was angry at her brother, obviously jealous, whatever, kills him, and then it's interesting that she, and she tries to bomb the other, you know, the Harvard guy, the doctor, it's interesting that she took out her anger on the colleagues and not the dean or whoever fired her, you know, the, yeah. what's, what's the head of the department or whatever, like, whoever, whoever gave her the option to leave or be fired from the university, it's interesting she didn't try to just target him. Right, yeah, or them. Um, Yeah, I think it's more probably because I think she has this mentality that, like, specific people or, like, institutions are working against her and not necessarily a person, right? So, like, I mean, it's kind of similar with the waitress thing, right? Like, it's like she could have berated the waitress and then wanted to speak to the manager but she didn't she took it out on the unsuspecting people yeah that's true you know what i mean like i think that she finds that kind of like weak spot i guess because like i guess rosenbaum was technically her uh, rosenberg i'm sorry rosenberg was technically her 
supervisor, so I can get that. But um, but she did it in a very sneaky little bitch yeah, way. That's you know true. what I mean? Like she didn't she didn't try to harm specifically him. Like she planted a fucking bomb that anybody could pick yeah. up. Like that's that's some bullshit. Yeah. Amy's court-appointed lawyer expressed his concern that Amy was. Uh, this is a quote, a paranoid schizophrenic, which we now know is not the correct term. We mm-hmm. know it's schizophrenic spectrum disorder. With a team of psychologists at her disposal, it was determined that Amy did suffer from this disorder and was put on medication. Wow. She had also expressed that many times in her life, she had had gaps of time missing, not remembering things that seemed to be bigger things in her life, like okay. specific things that people would know, or like things that like her mom and her dad would probably know, like, no, that was like a really big thing and you don't remember that happening yeah things like that so this kind of inferred that maybe she was experiencing some 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 type of a mental break yeah in june it was made public that amy would be investigated for the 1986 shooting of her brother oh and just two days later she would actually try to take her own life in jail what she was not successful in this attempt amy would plead not guilty by reason of insanity in the murder and attempted murder cases of the huntsville um shooting She eventually opted to take a plea of guilty to be spared the death penalty, and in fact, all of the survivors of that meeting that were in that room, because there were also other people in that room, um, all of the survivors said that they would also agree not to seek a death penalty. Like, they didn't want the death penalty to be sought. And they all knew her. Exactly. I think they all knew that she was troubled. Yeah. It was a pretty cut-and-dry case, and on September 24th, 2012, Amy was sentenced to life without parole. Amy would eventually not stay on trial for the suspected murder of her brother, although the circumstances around the death were, like, a little wonky. Just, you know, what we described mm-hmm. earlier about her trying to hold somebody at gunpoint, or maybe not, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is there was only one witness, and that witness was her mother, supposedly. Yeah. And Judith testified um, during, like, the evidentiary hearing that sh- what she witnessed was that Amy... Yes, had raised this gun, but her finger wasn't on the trigger, is apparently what Judith said. But because she was the only witness to the crime, they kind of took her word for it. Yeah, but again, I repeat. <laughs> no, I agree. Gun I, doesn't fucking go off unless you pull the trigger. I agree. Absolutely. Unless you're in, like, the fucking 1800s, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got a boomstick. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they did forever um, and for good label Seth's death as an accident. Wow. In a crazy turn of events. No. On April 18th, 2021, Amy's youngest child, Seth Bishop Anderson, at this time 21, was actually shot and killed by a neighborhood youth while the two were in the car playing with guns and a moving vehicle with their other friends. He was shot and killed. Was he shot in the chest? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. They didn't say. Either way, this young man has since been arrested and tried for manslaughter. He was 18 at the time when he accidentally shot Seth. An accidental, accidental shooting. shooting. Wow. Isn't that bizarre? Full fucking circle. Full fucking circle. That's wild. <sighs> You'd think if it was like his reincarnate, though, like that Seth would have been like, I don't like guns. Stay away from me. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that Seth made it to 21, but that Amy was 21 when she shot her brother. Ooh, like and that. he was shot by an 18-year-old. Nah, I don't like that either. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, he was 18, she was 21, he was 21, and he was 18. Ugh, that's 
bizarre. That's and they very, share the what same a coincidence. birthday. It's so crazy. That is wild. <sighs> Amy is still in prison today. Her appeals have been denied so far, and she's at Juliet Tutwiler's facility for women in Alabama. She is 56 years old. Wow. That is an intense case. That is really like, intense. I mean, there's not, like, a whole lot to, like, the beginning or, like, we don't really know what... It's kind of like the Stouty case, right? Like, we don't really know about Diana before um, Diana or Amy in those formidable years, you know, when you have a lot of, like, exposure to... I don't know. I guess it was just she grew up in a household where her dad was really educated and maybe that was, like, her goal is to also be educated and then here comes her brother, you know, he's a shithead for being smart, which is ridiculous. And, well, with, you know, schizophrenia spectrum, I will say, and we've we've talked about this before, but, you know, in case someone hasn't heard those other episodes, I'll just repeat. Um, it does present itself in the early 20s. Um, usually it's actually, like, the later 20s for women, mm-hmm. but it can present itself in the early 20s. Which makes sense because she was 21 when this whole almost, like, mental break happened, if you will. It's true. And she described the paranoia that she felt after the house had been broken into. And usually, usually it coincides, especially if it's not, like, genetic. Like, other people in her family might have had it. But you know how we've talked about, like, epigenetics and, like, predisposition to developing a disorder? And Mm -hmm. then, like, an environmental trauma will, like, cause that to present itself. Right. So usually it's only brought on once the trauma has been experienced, although there's not that we know of any trauma that happened. But who knows? There could have been something that she never told anybody that happened that happened it's to true. her, you know, that caused those symptoms to present themselves when, or, yeah. or just age development in general. Maybe she had gotten it passed on hereditarily and it just presented itself when it when it comes out, you know, oh, in yeah, adults. And it seems to me like the breaking point when she got these symptoms that's what made her maybe kill Seth or mm-hmm. at least, like, get the gun and kind of, you know, play out that scenario. Maybe the yeah. article, you know, that you said you read. And then, again, we talk about routine all the time. The routine when she was at Harvard maybe helped her keep her urges or her her paranoia at bay, but maybe not her, you know, aggressive tendencies, like yeah. the controllingness. Same thing at the university. And then one thing happens and it kind of, like, pushes the glass over, right? For like, sure, yeah. I think, you know, like you said with the with the Harvard thing, I think once she realized that she didn't have that routine or that maintenance, I guess, then that's when she's like, oh, shit, like, I'm going to lose my job here. I've already lost my job here and I don't have this routine. And that's I'm when gonna, the IHOP thing happened. That's when the IHOP thing happened. That's when the bombing happened or the, the failed bombing. Yeah. Um, and then this instance at, at, at Huntsville... And I think that, yeah, I think it's the fact that she's, like, it's almost like, fuck, no, I'm not going to go back there. You're not going to make me not be in this routine or be yeah. in this, you know, position of control of my life. Like, yeah. um, even down to the kids, like, when she was attending Harvard, when she had the kids, I bet she had a lot of routine, yeah. you know? I mean, she clearly wrote a 137-page dissertation. Yeah. And clearly a lot of people read it. Even though it probably wasn't the best dissertation, she had the wherewithal to sit down and do that and commit to that. It was probably likely a lot of routine for her. Yeah, and I was actually thinking earlier when you said, um, you know, the symptoms and stuff that she was showing, I thought she might have had or potentially been struggling with narcissistic personality disorder. I agree. But now that we're talking about uh, the schizophrenic spectrum, there's actually a 
subset of schizophrenia, which we now know there's a bunch of different types of schizophrenia, and one of them is that grandiose sense of self. Mm, that's true. So it might have just been that, you know. Invincibility, yeah. Exactly. My point in saying all that is that's why it's so important to have people advocating for you, people on your side that are going to help you get help, because when it gets to this point of untreated, it can now, it's obviously affecting other people, but then it puts everyone else that she's working with in a position of, let's say, hypothetically speaking, they know what's going Mm -hmm. on and they know that she needs that routine. Now it's almost like she can do whatever she wants and we can't fire her because if we fire her, God knows what's going to happen, right? So that's why it's really important to get the treatment. Of course, not everyone has the luxury of seeking treatment or affording treatment, but I'm saying that because if you know anybody that is maybe struggling with something like this, especially if you're you know, I think about that all the time when I want when I become a parent. Like, mm-hmm. I am going to advocate for my kids to get any treatment or help that they need because yeah. I want to nip it in the bud, so to speak. Like, I want to not have that later on. Because, again, yeah. I'm sure people were scared to... I'm sure they were scared to let her go from a job or scared to sure. talk back to her yeah. at work and stuff, yeah, you sure. know, because it's the unpredictability. And it's unfortunate, but that is something that comes with untreated mental illness sometimes. Yeah, I agree with that. I also do think that it's, like... As long as, and I've met people like this, as long as I, like, if I come in at, like, a hot 98, you know what I mean? Nobody's going to fuck with me. If I come in, I'm always at this level, you know? And then say I'm, like, down here one day, like, I walk into work and I'm, like, at a 50 or a 60 and I'm being kind of personable, people will remember that one time I was at a 98. And they're going to be like, I don't know if I want to fuck with that person. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that in itself is like a part of our environment as people is like you show people what you want them to see of you. And if, again, if you're just going to come in and just be at that 98, like right when you walk in, nobody's going to fuck with you, you know? And I do think it was a little bit of that, in my opinion. I feel like as, you know, she probably felt like the odds were against her being a woman in, you know, a scientific field and things like that. And I, I think that maybe that was driven home a little too soon because... Seth was successful at everything and nobody batted an eye at him. Yeah. You know? Well, it's one of those... because he was a man is what she's probably thinking. And it's also one of those things, too, where it's like, I feel like sometimes children or young adults or whoever can kind of be overlooked by their parents, especially if, like, another one of their kids is doing really great, because I feel like the parents can kind of get, like, that cloud, like, oh, well, Mm -hmm. all my kids are fine. Look at Seth. He's doing so well. So, like, all the other other kids or other kid in this you know, situation right. must be okay because he's fine, you know? Yeah. And it's not. It's, like, a person-to-person basis. Right. So it's, like, check on all your kiddos, check on all your friends, you know, just do your due diligence. Like, that's why I'm so interested in the field of psychology and educating people on it because it's, like, you don't know what to look for. Mm-hmm. So educate yourself on what to look for so that you can prevent this from happening in the future, sure, right? Sure, yeah. Even that's if it's a, a, a conversation, sorry. No. Even if it's a conversation, just one conversation you need to have, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Dang, that was a really great one. That's really different than anything else we've ever done. Right? And that's why I thought it was, you know, I think I might have even mentioned that in the case before or maybe the mental breakdown where I was like, I'm going to do something different. Yeah. Because, again, we don't hear a lot about that, um, about women being a perpetrator of a, of a, um, like a mass shooting like that, especially a school shooting. And, you know, of course, like, now we're so desensitized to stuff like this happening. Um, But, yeah, especially then, like, early 2000s, it was really rare, especially for a woman. But, again, it's – it just shows that, like, certain diagnoses, they don't have genders. Yeah, exactly. You know, diagnoses, schizophrenia and spectrum disorder does not have a gender. They don't discriminate. Yeah, exactly. So – 
Wow, that's really interesting. If you like this episode and you want to hear more, we actually do have a mental breakdown earlier in our episode season about schizophrenia spectrum that Mm -hmm. Cobalt brought. So if you want to do a little bit more research on that, feel free to listen to that episode if you haven't already. And again, if anybody has any suggestions for cases or mental breakdowns, please let us know. Again, you can email us. You'll have our handles. I said them at the beginning. Uh, but that was a really great case. I'm happy you brought that one. I was, I'd never heard about that before. Yeah. I always say that. I never knew, though. <laughs> it's know? relatively recent. I mean, it's in the last 10 years. Yeah. And we're going to, I think in the next next uh, case that I'm going to bring, it, I don't think a lot of people know about it either. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be like a couple of like peppering in some not so known <laughs> cases around the really well-known yeah. ones that we've been doing. So, well, that was great. Good job. Thanks for bringing that. My butt is asleep again. Thanks. You got anything else? Nope. Okay, we will talk to you later. Talk to you love later. You. Bye. All right, love you. Bye. You already know that craft beers have been exploding in popularity over the past decade, but what you might not know is that there are thousands of awesome craft beers being produced by these new microbreweries regularly. With Craft Beer Club, each order will showcase two breweries from different regions in the U.S. and includes four beer styles with a brand new box each shipment. You'll also receive publications that detail the history about the featured breweries, tasting notes, pairing options, and maybe even a little trivia. Click on our link in the show notes below and get free shipping along with up to three free gifts with your first purchase. Order Craft Beer Club today.